Today's scripture reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 to 7. Verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight in his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of, the, of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls on his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you this morning. It's good to have missionaries with us. Ping and Heidi, bless you. Thank you for being with us. I know you want to be uh, in their session immediately after this service to hear what God is doing through them. We also have another missionary, uh, Esther Yap, who has been with us and will be with us another month. Um, and by the way, next week we will have yet another opportunity to give specifically to missions. And I'll be honest, I'm beginning to feel a little bit conflicted about this beard because I'm starting to see some advantages. Last night when I got on the train, people jumped up to give me a seat. <laughs> I could get used to that. <clears throat> but I want to encourage you to consider prayerfully how God would use us to support those who are bringing the gospel beyond these walls. You will impact lives for eternity and perhaps even save my marriage. I want to invite you to remain in Proverbs 11. If you have your Bibles open to that passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking at measuring life with a false balance. I wonder if in all of your travels, and I know Singaporeans travel, I wonder if you've ever been cheated. I know I have. In, in fact, I've probably been cheated more than most of you. Not, not to boast, but I've been cheated on four continents. I'm an expert at being cheated. Some of you might realize, and I guess I'm going to share it for those of you who don't, I actually have a Rolex watch. Yeah. I bargained for 40 minutes and got a Rolex for 20 U.S. dollars. Okay, before you laugh, it was a long time ago, so I know that today Rolexes cost a lot more. But back then, it was 20 U.S. dollars, and I felt such a sense of pride because most Canadians don't know how to negotiate. 
But I've been living in Asia for a long time, and I know how to negotiate. And, and I just felt delighted. I, I took it immediately out of the box. I put it on my wrist. And, and flying home to Penang, the whole way, I, I took every opportunity to stretch. <laughs> so all the passengers behind me could see the Rolex and know what a great negotiator I was. And, and I could imagine what they were thinking to themselves. They were most likely thinking, look at that guy, so humble. Has a Rolex and still flies Air Asia. <laughs> it, was, it was just like time stood still for me because every time I looked at my watch, it was just still the same time. <laughs> so, so yes, I've, I've been cheated. I had to go back to Bangkok and renegotiate for an authentic fake Rolex. In, in Proverbs chapter 11, Solomon brings us again to the wisdom of God. Specifically, in regard to judging life by a false balance. And more critically, his, his word to us is what, when we measure life by a false balance, we're actually, he's going to shock us with this revelation, I'm going to give you some prep. We're actually co-conspirators in our cheating ourselves by judging our lives by a false balance. So first, uh, let's look in verses 1 and 2, the rot of a false balance. Uh, some Bible translations will interpret that uh, term as a, not just a false balance, but as, as a deceptive weight or a deceptive scale. In, in Solomon's day, and sometimes even in our day, there were unscrupulous vendors who tampered with their weights. They would take a weight that was actually 10 gera, which is about 7, uh, what, what, ounces. I don't know what the metric is. And, and they would actually stamp it as if it was not 70, oh, it's 7 grams is what it is. I did look this up. I googled it. So, so they would take a, a weight that was actually 70 grams and mark it as 20 grams. And so when they weighed it, the customer would think, oh, I'm, I'm getting 140 grams of oil, but they would walk away with only, what, 70? I can't do math. They would walk away with less because this, the weights were improperly marked. They would think they got that amount, but, but the vendor would make money off of the fact that the customer was walking away with less than what it weighed. That's a deceptive scale. That's a false balance. And here's what the Lord says about that um, definition meaning. If you use lighter weights to assess the value of a product, the vendor charges the customer more. Have you ever sensed that that was something that you, has happened to you? I'm very sure it has happened to me. Here's what the Lord says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, now, why would a false balance 
use such strong language? Why would it demand such strong language? That, that word abomination is the most graphic of participles in the, in the Hebrew language. I, I didn't even know what a participle was because my English is not that good. I, I had to Google that also. You know what a participle is? It, it is a verb that has been nouned. And, and the, the thing about this, that noun is it refers to the verb, which is an action. And in, in Hebrew, the action for abomination is, is a jerking back as a result of seeing something so abhorrent. It's a, it's a dramatic turning away. It's, you've seen something so horrifically graphic, you can't look at it. That's what the Lord says about a false balance. It's, it's so horrific in His holiness, He cannot bear to look at it because deception is an abomination to the Lord. It's deeply grueling, offensive to the Lord because it is the antithesis of His character. It's, it's the opposite of who He is. So when Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was claiming divinity. Just as God is true, I am true. Truth is a person. It is the person of God. And then deception, the opposite of truth, is the opposite of God. And, and that's why he says this in John chapter 8, verse 34, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, listen, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Everything about him is the opposite of everything that God is. Deception is heresy to the God who is true. In its core, it's the antithesis of all he is. And that's why when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. All through this passage, you'll see wisdom following with a wise person as a close companion and disgrace following the evil person as a close companion. You know, this word disgrace is, is there's awkward humor in it because the word is based upon an ancient Hebrew root which actually means surprise. And, and that's the way it is with the proud. That's why I was sitting on that flight from Bangkok, kept tapping my watch, thinking, oh, oh, I paid $20 for this, and the hands aren't moving. Two weeks later, they moved. They dropped off. <laughs> it's an authentic Rolex glue. Dried up, they, they dropped off. You, you see, the prideful are surprised by disgrace. The pastor is surprised when 700 bot bought him a fake Rolex. And, and disgrace comes because the very next week I was flying through America. I landed in Los Angeles. You know, custom and immigration, they open your suitcase 
behind doors. You don't see them doing it. They had opened my suitcase and I had packed my watch there and they left me a little sign on official U.S. Customs and Immigration taped to my watch and it had two words on it, fake watch. I'm like, whoa, it's that obvious. You know, that, that's the disgrace the prideful come upon. It, it, it's a disgrace that you feel when, when this incompetent colleague got the job promotion when you're the obvious candidate. Like, it, it's, the, it's the surprise you feel when you're the best Christian you know and the doctor still says the word cancer. What? What? How, how, how can this be when pride comes? Then comes disgrace. But the humble find a faithful companion in wisdom. Let's talk for a few moments about the consequence of a false balance in verses 3 through 7. You know, we used to say in the 90s and in the early 2000s that we live in uh, information age, right? And in the information age, information is what? Power. But now we live in an age in which there is ungoverned, unsupervised information that comes from everywhere. We, we, we live in a day and age in which information has been weaponized. There are people being killed in the world today because of rumors that have gone out in social media. Fake news has begun to impact us in very real ways. So in Solomon's day, the integrity of weights and measures had lost its value because unscrupulous vendors were messing with the, the weight. And in our day, objective truth has lost its value because everyone owns their own truth. That was the most common thing that people would say to me in Vancouver. I'd ride the train. They asked me, what do you do? I'd say, oh, I'm a pastor. They don't know what that is. They say, what does a pastor do? I said, well, he teaches the Christian Bible. They say, good for you. Hold on to your truth, man. They have no problem with my truth. They have their own truth. You see, objective truth has lost all meaning. Here's a survey. It was done just this year in March. 78% of Singaporeans say that they have been the target of fake news. 78%. And 79% say that, or sorry, 97% say the, the primary carriers of fake news is something that you use every day. Facebook and WhatsApp. There are WhatsApp groups that are formed just among people who share their own truth. And they feel bonded to one another because they all feel the same way about that same truth. Even though it might be fake. And the most startling thing is 33% of Singaporeans who were surveyed didn't believe that people really could discern the difference between truth and, and something that's just fake. 
And so today, false balance has a completely different meaning. If you look up false balance, that term, if you Google that today, it won't say anything about somebody messing with weights. This is the definition. The act of presenting two sides of an issue as if they are balanced when in fact one side is actually an extreme view. What's an example? Scientists disagree on the impact of human activity on climate change. There may be one or two scientists, but when you put this out on Facebook, you're ignoring the fact that 99% of all scientists agree that we as humans are impacting climate change. If you present this, it makes it sound like there's a balanced argument when you're messing with the weight. The vast weight of the scientific community leans against polar bears are starving to death because there's no Arctic ice. Anybody can do this. All you have to do is put out something that you hope is true and attach it with a convincing picture and then send it out to all of your friends and it just might go viral. I tried it myself this morning. Now, now e even, even if Abraham Lincoln was alive today, even if he was a deacon or an elder at GBC, it still wouldn't necessarily be true. But if my mother was alive and sent this to all her friends, it would actually be their truth. You see, this is why truth is static. God is true. But the evil one is at work in his world and would want to trouble us with all the things that are not actually true. So there's short-term damage that occurs. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. I'm skipping verse 4. I'll go back to it. Verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive. You know what I think, church? I think we use our theology and we use it irresponsibly. When something bad happens to us, we automatically go to a theological answer that absolves me of all guilt. Ah, oh, we live in a broken and fallen world. It's, you know, it's just our lot in life to live on the wrong side of the fall. In fact, several years ago in our church in Vancouver, we had an elderly uh, man. He wasn't a member, but he attended uh, every Sunday. And uh, he was scammed out of $10,000 because he was told if he would just invest $10,000 in this scheme, in less than six weeks, he would earn a million dollars. And as he was sharing this with me, he said... Oh, Pastor, it's a, it's a sad and fallen world we live in, Pastor, when scammers are taking advantage of seniors. 
Can you imagine that working anywhere else in Singapore? Can, can you imagine a thief going before a judge in Singapore and saying, Judge, Your Honor, it's a fallen and broken world. Thief is going to thieve. What to do in this broken world? I just got to steal. The world is broken. It would not work anywhere. And it doesn't work in God's word. Because notice, it's not the world out there that causes the wicked to sin. It's the world of heart in here. Notice the connection to character in these verses. The integrity of the upright guides them. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. The righteousness of the upright delivers them. On the other hand, the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The wicked falls by what? His own wickedness. The treacherous are taken captive by their own lust. Why would a pastor need to have a Rolex? It's not that vendor's issue. It's this pastor's issue. See, the biggest problem we have is not the world out there. It's not the brokenness out there. The biggest problem we have is the brokenness right here. That, that's why God pleads in the voice of Solomon, listen to wisdom. Make her your companion. Verse 4, riches, this is long-term. Do not profit in the day of wrath. The day of wrath in biblical speak means in the day of my death, my riches will profit me nothing. But in the day of his death, the righteous will be delivered. This is Henry Beaufort. He was a cardinal in the Middle Ages who enriched himself by his office. Because of his work in the church, he became extraordinarily influential and extraordinarily wealthy. He was the son of an illegitimate relationship. And he himself had a daughter through an illegitimate relationship. There was nothing much godly about him, but he knew how to read God's word in Latin. He influenced the rule of three English kings. And he was the one who interrogated Joan of Arc in prison and confirmed her to be a heretic. He lived an extraordinary life of privilege until April of 1447, when he got sick. And on the 11th of April, he mustered the last bit of his strength. And these are the last words he's known to have spoken. Fie, which is the word in the Middle Ages that replaced abomination. It's a nouned verb of something that you have seen or smelt that's so horrific, 
It, it causes you to jerk back. Fie, will not death be hired? Will money do nothing? No. Money here bears no mastery. When the wicked dies, his hope perishes. He's not wicked because he had money. He's wicked because before that moment, every prayer was answered by his wealth. He was wicked because his pride was not in the cross of Christ, but in his own efforts to gather stuff. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish and expectation of wealth perishes too. I realize that much of my life, I was measuring people I knew by this same false balance. You know, the deacon who's done very, very well in business has a place of honor in the contemporary church. Why? Because we measure life with a false balance. The doctor, nothing wrong with doctors, but it grieves me because they never know who their real friends are. They're given influence by a false balance they don't even perhaps desire. And yet the world around them declares themselves, declares them to have reached the pinnacle, to have made something of their life. And then comes the grave. It's not because of the money. It's because of the value we put on the weight of having money. That is a false Balance. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish because he's trusting his hope in, is in all that he has gathered. I, I, I want to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not separating doctors, lawyers from pastors. Sherry and I have conversations. We, we talk about, uh, do we have enough gathered to retire? Retire how? Nobody plans to retire with suffering and want. Right? We are all in this mess. It's not because Adam fell. It's because Ian fell. It's not because the world is broken. It's because our hearts are broken that we have begun again to weigh life with a false and phony balance that has given us false and phony confidence up until the day we breathe our last. But the righteous is delivered from trouble, while the wicked walks right into it. Let me quickly talk about an antidote to the false balance. Let me be upfront. The antidote is the gospel. Verses 19 through 21 of Matthew 6, Jesus pleading with the crowds that followed him. Crowds remember that we're not expecting him to die. 
They were expecting him to march into Jerusalem victorious, a conquering deliverer. And here's what he said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where men sell you fake Rolexes. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart hoping? Where are you trusting? Right? Because everything we own has an expiry date on it. Sherry had to call him a, a, a repairman because... You know, our landlord has an air compressor so that we have good water pressure. And, and the, the repairman took two trips to declare the warranty is out on that compressor. can't be fixed. Everything we have is wearing out. Everything is rusting or getting holes in it. In fact, this body that we're living in, that we're walking around, many of you already have a, a body that's beyond Best Buy date. I'm just being honest, right? So the, so the question we should be asking is, has our plan been too short-term? Have, have we been investing in eternity? Or just planning for, for the end of our days when we stumble into our grave? Will that grave be a delivery? Or, or, or will it be a terrifying, mortifying, shocking surprise? I'm almost certain that my father had decided to leave this world while owning nothing. Because by the time he had breathed his last, he didn't even have his own clothes. He had reinvested everything he'd ever gathered. He died in a borrowed diaper. Here is what I believe was on my dad's heart. That seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And all these overweighted things will be added to you. Don't interpret that as being in this earth. The things that really matter. The things that will pursue you beyond the grave. The things that really are fully weighted. Real truth will pursue you beyond the grave. Through the fire of cremation. All of these things will be added to you. So as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper today. This might be a good time for us to revalue the priorities in our investment portfolios. As you look at the things that you have already invested in, maybe even today you have been making investments, maybe even this week, 
You've been making investments. Are they the kinds of things that will follow you into eternity? Have you spoken words of life eternal? Or, or has your words been designed for short-term results? Spoken out of brokenness. Have you been investing in things that are eternal, that cannot be corrupted, that are preserved by the Most High God? We sang it earlier. This morning, as we gave the Lord our offerings, we sang these words, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, you are the greatest treasure of my longing soul. Can we sing that and mean it? Was that a prayer to the Almighty God, or are we, or are we just trying to make good and pleasing noise? You, O oh God, are the greatest treasure of my longing soul. You, my God, like you, there's no other. Do you understand the implications of this? The implications are, if, if we use a right and true balance, we should not first be thinking about being a disciple-making church. If we are judging life by a true balance, we should not first be thinking, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Did you hear our missionaries say it? We should first be disciples. Can you imagine if Jesus sent out his disciples before he said, wait? Can you imagine the outcome of disciples going before Pentecost? They would have at best reproduced a religious version of uneducated fishermen. That's it. The implication of this truth is, God, come and work your righteousness in me. Because until he comes and makes this broken man holy, I've got nothing to share. Until he comes and purifies us and fill us with the power of his gospel, I've got nothing that will change even my world, let alone the world's world. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment as we prepare our hearts to receive the elements of the Lord's table. The Apostle Paul encouraged us to examine ourselves. This is not a potluck. We're not all rushing forward so we can get our choice pieces. But as you bow before the Holy God, can you say that this week you have been seeking first his kingdom? Can you say, the pastor doesn't know, but can you say before the God who is all-knowing, yes, Lord, I have been pursuing your righteousness. I'm not coming offering my own. Pursuing your righteousness. And whether I live or die, I face the grave with confidence. 
Knowing wisdom has pursued me. Grace has flooded over me. I faced the grave with borrowed righteousness, claimed at Calvary. If in this quiet moment you, you cannot say, yes, that's me, then good news. Unlike Henry Beaufort, you still draw breath. And with this breath you now have, you can whisper to him, oh God, forgive me. I turn away from those false balances that have ruled me all my life. And I turn afresh to the God who is true. Purge me. Cleanse me. Fill me with his righteousness that I might walk worthy of the truth of the gospel. Father God, we confess we are an imperfect and broken people. Like so many, we are tempted to point to other reasons and other people as to why we continually Judge life by a false balance. Help us, O oh God, even in this moment, to return to the true weight of the gospel. Help us to embrace you fully and completely, seeking you daily first. Rule in your people, O oh God, Equip us with your holiness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the, those who will serve us to come forward now. Uh, scripture tells us that when God established the first Passover, he commanded the people of God to take a perfect lamb, a lamb without spot, without blemish, and slaughter that lamb and paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. And then he said something curious. He said, then eat the lamb. Eat it. This is why Jesus offered bread. This is why he said, when you take this, you take my flesh. He was declaring himself to be the perfect Passover lamb, slaughtered so that death would pass us over. And so this morning, if you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, there's nothing magical in these wafers. None of us believe in taking this, that we will suddenly be more sanctified or become a Christian. We simply do this in memory of the one who declared himself to be the perfect Lamb of God. We do this remembering His sacrifice. We do this expecting Him to come again victorious. So if you don't consider yourself a, a follower of Christ, just let this pass you by. Nothing crazy is gonna happen. Uh, maybe, there may be some of you here who say, you know, I, I don't know how to turn, and I haven't turned, then let me encourage you too just like I did for 10 years. 
let this bread pass you by. Let's prepare to receive the elements of the Lord's table.
I'm going to invite Pastor Eugene to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that though he was rich, became poor, that we by his poverty might become rich. And Father, we thank you for your grace in the gospel. We pray that as we eat this bread, this body of Christ, we pray that your grace would nourish us, that we would be encouraged and strengthened to follow him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you take it in remembrance of me.
Pastor Ollie to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup. Let's pray. Our dear Lord Jesus, as we think on the meaning of our drink in the drinking of the cup, our hearts sing and affirm, nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said to his disciples, This cup represents the new covenant inscribed in my blood. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As our ushers come down the aisles to collect the cups, we're reminded in the Gospels that after they had sung a hymn, the disciples went out into their world. So as we close our service together, let's do the same thing. Let's stand together and sing as we close our time together. <laughs> 